ComC is your home for buying, selling, and flipping all the hottest trading cards. Their consignment marketplace is home to over 27 million cards across all sports, genres, and eras. With a ComC account, you can purchase cards from different sellers over time and ship them home together later, or immediately reprice them for sale on the ComC marketplace. To stay updated with ComC, please follow them on social media at Check Out My Cards, one word, on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. To learn about offers, promotions, and more at ComC, please visit blog.comc.com. You're listening to the Wax Pack Hero Sports Card Minute, a podcast where we discuss both the hobby and business sides of collecting. I'm your host, Mike Summer, and I want to help you buy, sell, and trade your way into a collection you'll love. Hero Sports Card Minute. Over the last couple weeks, I've had a chance to pick up some lots and collections from a couple fellow listeners, which has been really fun getting a chance to meet a couple guys who listen to the podcast regularly and were able to hook me up with some pretty nice collections for both my sh- for the shop as well as a few things to add to my PC. So I want to shout out Matt and Jason who drove over over the last few weeks to to hook me up with a couple collections. I really appreciate them listening and really appreciate them reaching out and was happy that we were able to work out a deal um, for some cards that they were looking to move. And so I thought that was that was cool and wanted to give them a little shout out here. I also wanted to talk about yesterday we had our, our small monthly show at the shop and it just goes to show you never know what is going to walk into the shop. We were partway through the day and, and probably a, a middle-aged couple walks in and said, do you buy cards ever? And I said, yeah, sure. What do you got? And they're like, well, I don't really collect, but I've had these four cards just sitting in my, in my drawer for decades now and um, thought they might be worth something. So I thought I'd bring them in to see. And so I said, sure, I'll take a look. And what did I find? What did they have? Well, the first card they showed me, they said, this is the one that we think is probably the best. You know, someone told us that this card is, is worth quite a bit right now. And it was a, a Magic Bird Irving card, you know, the, the rookie for, for um, Bird and Magic. I said, yeah, that's a, that's a pretty good one. Um, and we talked a little bit about condition and, and the importance of condition and how you can't judge a PSA 10 you know, auction as, as the true value when something's not a PSA 10 and there's a big difference between a $250 raw copy and a, you know, several hundred thousand dollar PSA 10. And we talked about that and they said, well, what are the other ones that, that you've got here? And what did they show me? They showed me a few um, 1961 Fleer cards, including a Jerry West rookie and a Wilt rookie. And there was one other one who was more of a, a common from that set. And I'm like, yeah, those are those are pretty good cards too. Uh, not not stuff that you see every day walking into the shop. And so again, we talked about that. And these weren't super beat up, but they also weren't pristine. They were kind of probably mid grade type cards. Really, really nice. And so we talked a little bit about value. We talked a little bit about you know whether or not they should um, grade them themselves and sell and and sell them or try to sell them raw or whether they were just interested in selling them to me and being done with it being that they weren't card people and so we talked about what goes into grading what goes into selling on ebay and getting the tax forms and all of the work that would go into that and then we talked about the alternative of selling to them to me for a, a bit less than they would get ultimately if they sold them themselves 
and, and what that might mean. And so ultimately, I was not able to, to pick them up yesterday, but I had made an offer that they're considering as they think about what they want to do with these cards, but was able to give them a little bit of an education. But man, those were a few cool cards to see. I don't know that I've ever held a Wilt and West rookie in my hands, and so that was that was pretty neat, and it was nice to be able to give them a little background and education on the hobby and the process that would go into um, selling a couple cards of those of that caliber. So that was just a, a cool little story. You never know what is going to walk into your shop. You never know what some random person in your town has had sitting in their junk drawer for 20 or 30, 40 years in, in some cases. So really cool little story that, that I got a chance to experience yesterday. Today, in today's podcast, I have another industry interview, but it is not with a card dealer. It is not with a card manufacturer. It is not even with a marketplace. It is with a supply manufacturer. And I'm going to be bringing on Jack Mays from Cardboard Gold, the maker of PSA's favorite card saver ones. And so if you submit to PSA, especially, you know what card savers are because that is their preferred way to send them into PSA. I'm going to be talking with Jack about the origins of his company and kind of what they've been dealing with over the last couple of years. So that is our interview today. And I'm going to get into that after I tell you about Underdog Collectibles, the online shop run by collectors for collectors that breaks new product almost seven days a week now across Facebook, YouTube, and Loop. You can also visit them at their brick and mortar shop in Knoxville, Tennessee to see their full selection of wax singles supplies. You can even watch some of those breaks live there in the shop. They're also an approved group submitter for SGC, so if you are interested in that, you can learn more at udogcollect.com. And when you check them out at udogcollect.com, make sure you tell them that Wax Pack Hero sent you. Well, over the last few years, we've had our share of hobby businesses that, that we've covered on the podcast, but one, one topic that we have not covered and one business that we have not yet covered is supply manufacturing, and that is going to change today because I want to welcome Jack Mays onto the show. Jack is the founder and the man behind Cardboard Gold. You may know Cardboard Gold if you like grading because the card saver ones are the, the preferred way to submit your cards to PSA. Jack, welcome to the show. Oh, pleasure. Nice to be here. I really appreciate you spending a few few minutes coming on here. You know, I often get a chance to talk with people about how they started their card shop or how they got into collecting, but it's not too often that we get to talk to somebody who started an entire company from, from the ground up. So maybe we can start today with you just giving me a little bit of your background and kind of the origin story of Cardboard Gold. So I was never a, a big collector. Um, my buddy who went to Cal Berkeley went to a show in the summer of 1985 and called me and told me, you know, how cool it was and stuff. And so I grabbed the cards that I did have from my grandfather and went and did a show that would have been June of 1985 and uh, dabbled in selling unopened boxes and, and things for about like a year year and a half. I didn't have any money. So it was hard to get into the business even back then with just a few thousand dollars. So I got into supplies in 86, mid 86. And um, the reason was I could get net 30 terms and get more product in and be a real business. So just had to convince them to give me the product and pay them in 30. 
when you started that, what types of supplies were you were you producing? Was it just nine pocket pages or what you know what what did you start with as you were getting off the ground? So back then I distributed for other companies. So I was distributing for Rotman. They were a huge, huge uh, sheet manufacturer back in the 80s and also the 90s to a point. And what else did I even sell then? Um, top loaders didn't get big until a year or two later. I did a little bit with that. I sold, I didn't do the card saver until 87. That's when it started. I started it in early 87 and then it, it went crazy at the um, 1987 national in San Francisco that Bob Lee promoted. That was a huge show. Um, mostly just pages and binders back then. That was the infancy of, of supplies and the business, the industry. At what point did you start to pivot and and be a supplier yourself and, and kind of partner with with the actual factories to get your own branded um, supplies created? So I decided pretty early on, basically 87 or around there, that I was going to stop selling anybody else's product and do only my own uh, branded products. And the main reason for that was the margins. I mean, if you're selling a sheet for someone, you're literally making 12%. And, you know, when you make your own products and then I started uh, importing directly from China, actually it was Taiwan then that was in 88. No. Yeah. 88. Cause the card saver was originally made in, in Missouri. Yeah. And so then you eventually went to getting all your, your manufacturing done in overseas. Is that, is that where it's done today? Yeah, it's still um, primarily in China. We also have um, a plant in, in Taiwan, um, but everything is made there that's in the hobby. There's really no other. Um, you can make pages in the United States, Ultraprone, BCW do, but you you can't make any of the other products. You you wouldn't be um, wouldn't be cost effective. Top loaders have never been made in the United States. Oh, interesting. People tried back in the day, back in the eighties. Howard's tried well, they're gone. Yeah. We've talked a lot about how card companies and hobby shops navigated the, the fallout of the junk wax era. And that is kind of, you know, you were still pretty young, you know, a, a pretty young company at that point. But what was it like running a supply manufacturer during that junk wax era? And then the ultimate kind of pullback that we saw at the end of the junk wax era? So my company has had plenty of ups and downs from 85 to 88, it was kind of a part-time thing. I mean, I worked full-time, but it was not um, like it like it started in 1990 when I got real serious and started hiring people and got a bigger warehouse, took a lot of risk. Um, the early 90s were huge for my company. That's when we were in the Inc. 500 in 1991 and 1992. We were number 208 and number 74 in 1992. And then, like you say, the all the card companies started going bankrupt right after um, baseball went on strike in 94, 95. And my business suffered then too, everybody did. Um, and that's when junk wax became junk. And um, then let's see, after 9-11, we started doing display cases for like baseballs, basketballs, footballs, mini helmets, helmets, and um, did that. That was really big for us. We were one of the first companies to make all those products in China successfully, high quality. Everybody does it now. Our factory went out of business, so we don't make those anymore. Um, but then up and down after in the um, 
2000 up to the financial crisis, it was terrible, like everybody. And then as you know, the last three years have been nuts. This is, last year was our best year ever by far. Yeah, let's talk a little bit about the craziness of the last couple of years and, and kind of what that has meant, this latest hobby boom is, has meant for you guys. I know I kind of first started using a lot of the, the cardboard gold top loaders and penny sleeves as I was kind of ramping up my own, you know, hobby interests in kind of 2016, 2017. I always appreciated them because of the balance of the the quality of the the penny sleeve, but also the affordability and the cost compared to to some others. And it seemed like, you know, with a lot of supplies, it's it's a an opportunity that's always going to be there. There's people who are always going to need supplies, but at the same time, competition can be fierce, right? And then this last few years, we've seen such a run up in interest in the hobby and then the associated ways to store and display your cards that things have just gone crazy for both cards and supplies. So what has this last couple of years been like for you to try to navigate? So I had an interesting two month spell like the rest of the, wor the world in uh, February when COVID hit China shut down like instantly. And, you know, when they say shut down, they had automatic weapons were walking around. They were shut down. And so I'm out of business and we had no product being produced. Everybody was. Um, and then March, when we shut down, um, my factory started getting going again a little bit and started sending me a few containers. Um, so when it started getting crazy was June, July of, um, of 2020, when the Michael Jordan uh, documentary came out on ESPN, that kind of was the start of it, in, in my opinion. Um, and then from there, it just snowballed it was just absolute insanity our biggest like sale we did we ended up doing everything online stopped answering the phone um and we sold out i didn't have a full container of card savers but summer late summer early fall of, of 2020 um i sold out a card saver ones in six minutes online when i put them for sale absolutely insane and it's still really good right now but now we've got plenty of supply, the logistics of the world have fixed themselves. And, you know, there's plenty of product out there and pricing is much better. So how did you manage those supply chain challenges that that so many people were facing? Because it seemed like a lot of people, it was either from the, the actual manufacturing side, but then there was also the transportation and delivery and taking ownership and the backup at ports and all of those things that that went into it. Was there anything that you did along the way there to kind of help mitigate some of those challenges not a not a thing just prayed i yeah. mean you, you're i mean i was in the same boat as walmart you're just hoping that that container gets um picked at the port and finds a, tr a chassis in a truck and gets to you um but as far as my factory goes i've been dealing with the same factory for more than 30 years and um so they they always take care of me and they did then they do now their quality is the best um so, I mean, um, I had a big advantage because of that. And also having done this for forever, I started when I was 19. I've never done, I've never worked for anybody. I've never done anything else besides sell trading card holders. So that's pretty cool. It, are things, do you feel like things are, are in a much better place now than when they are? Are there still things that you're having to, to be very 
I guess, mindful of as you're trying to still continue to place orders, keep that flow of, of product moving from, from the manufacturing, from the plants, all the way to um, the warehouses here in the U.S.? You know, how, how, where, what's your perspective on how that supply chain is looking, at least for, for your products? It's still, the business uh, supplies is still really strong right now. Um, top loaders are still on fire. Um, I'm almost sold out of top loaders again. I don't think I have more than three or 400 cases and they went on sale on August 9th. So and we've we got more coming in two weeks and then another in three and a half weeks. Um, but the, the, the hobby is still really, really strong. Um, and I think it's going to continue to grow because of fanatics. You know, we're getting the collegiate cards in. They're going to control more of the um, distribution. And um, there's plenty of, of uh, volume that's out there. Our, our volume this month will be as high as it's been in any month in the last three years. That's that's pretty amazing and a good place or a good position to be in. Earlier on in the conversation, I had mentioned that Card Saver 1s are the recommended way to submit to PSA. And I was curious as is how that came to be. Is is that a relationship that you kind of intentionally crafted or was that just another happy coincidence that that you've been able to, to benefit from and leverage? It was really interesting. So my warehouse um, back in the day, so PSA started in 1991 and I moved into that warehouse in, I think 1990. We were like blocks from PSA back then or two exits off the 55 freeway. And, you know, they were really small and people didn't even think that PSA was going to make it. And, you know, obviously the rest is history, but I had been selling to them since 1991. And then they came to me um, kind of when it just started getting crazy and they wanted me to brand name um, PSA on the card saver form, which I did. And then we entered into a promotional um, arrangement uh, under contract. So we're the, the recommended uh, trading card for PSA and, PSA is um, an incredible company. I mean, what they've done is, you know, absolutely insane. It, the amount of cards they grade, I guess they graded a million cards last month. Yeah. That's hard to even wrap your your head around, you know. I think it's a, a great example of a, a way that, that two different companies can leverage each other's strengths to, to benefit both of them. Another, but that's not the only relationship that you've got within the, the hobby community. Another one that I have been able to experience firsthand is your relationship with Columbia Hobby, who serves as kind of your primary distribution platform here within the, the United States. How did that partnership develop? So uh, Columbia um, and the owner, Steve Teamwell, was uh, a good customer of mine when he was in Southern California. And then he relocated up north to the um, Portland, Vancouver, Washington area. And uh, the, the rent in, in Santa Ana in Orange County was starting to get absolutely ridiculous. It's way worse right now. And so um, we entered into an agreement that um, we would share warehouse space and personnel and everything in order to fill orders. And then he's my biggest customer by far. Um, he has an exclusive with my products as a master distributor and does a tremendous job with it. You know, you can go to there, you can go to your website, see the products and they've got them all kind of displayed on their website as well. Kind of the, the final topic that I wanted to hit on a little bit today was innovation within the hobby supply world. 
it's one of those things that you've you saw some change with the type of materials used to create card supplies, you know, from the vinyl original vinyl pages that we saw back in the early eighties that were just kind of terrible for the long-term um, safety and storage of your cards to some pretty clear and, and safe products that we have today. But we have more and more people thinking about new ways to display, new ways to store. Um, how do you think about innovation in the hobby supply world? Well, we just came out with, we're the first company to come out with an OPP soft card sleeve. OPP is oriented polypropylene, most expensive polypropylene you can get. It's optically clearer than regular polypropylene, a lot more expensive, obviously. A penny sleeve is barely a penny when you're talking about OPP. Um, we've sold out our first three orders of those. Um, we have a ton of them on order. We're also making notch sleeves. Those will be coming out next month. And a couple of other products I can't say right now, but that are about 45 days away. And, and then we'll do a press release through our email list and, and they'll pop on Amazon and eBay and such. Okay. So you're continuing to look at, at new ways to, to create higher quality, safer, that type of thing is, is kind of your primary focus on those. Yeah. It's what collectors want. And we don't really innovate. We listen to what our customers say, and I'll get an email like, you know, we like this, this is an idea. Um, and that being said, the card saver has been around for darn, do the math, 35 years. Um, top loaders have been around for about 40 years. So things really haven't changed that much. Collectors like what they like. Um, and the, the key thing there too, is that they're cost effective because, you know, you, you don't want a, a $2 holder if you're putting in a a $3 card or whatever it may be. One of the other things that we've started to see some folks come out with and innovate with is units for wall displays or ability to kind of put things on a, a bookshelf or a, a wall unit or a, an actual customizable wall display. And you had mentioned in the past, you had done some things with ball holders and that type of thing. Any chance that we'll see some of those types of products from Cardboard Gold at any point in the future? No, and, and the reason is really simple. It's just pure business. There's just not enough volume. For us to bring out a product, it has to add something to our bottom line. Um, we have to be able to make millions and millions of them to make it worthwhile. I mean, when we place an order, we we order top loaders, 36 containers at a pop. Okay. So I'm not going to see how many we sell per month, but it's a lot. Right. And how many we sold last month was astronomical. It's absolutely scary how many top loaders and card savers that we sold. The, there are a lot of cards out there. <laughs> One of the other things that I, I wanted to hit on, because I think it's something that we've seen, we've seen people open up or being willing to do things differently. And, and your results are clearly showing that there's a, a changing tide, but there's still, you know, like, like you talked about, or, you know, there's, there's a few big names within the, the, the card supply business and and ultra pro is one of your competitors who's who's done a, a good job as they got started of getting their name out there and being synonymous with high quality but they're not the only high quality manufacturer and as i had mentioned before i think a lot of the products that i've had from cardboard gold rival ultra pro in quality and at a cheaper cost 
Was there anything that that you have done when you think about how you've attempted to match up with competitors to show that value proposition of the quality and and cost and how those compare to to others to to make cardboard gold a good alternative? The advantage we have with um, a company like UltraPro, and it, it's not a great comparison because UltraPro is so much larger than us. They're a huge uh, international. They've got warehouses all over the world. Um, we're big. We sell a lot of, of product, um, but and we do share a manufacturer. So when you're buying something, it that particular item, a uh, top loader, it's made from the same factory, most likely, whether it's UltraPro or or uh, cardboard gold. Um, but our key thing is we sell direct. Um, my only major um, distributor that can sell for the same prices as me is, is Columbia Hobby. And that way we can control it and we can keep the prices down. Um, our business model stays intact. UltraPro and, and BCW. BCW does sell direct more now and UltraPro even does too because there's more money in it, I think, would be their reasoning. Um, but we've been doing it this way since 1985 when we first started. So, and I'll never change. And my goal isn't to be the biggest. My goal is just to be the best. I'll give you one piece of information that's pretty interesting. Um, three years ago, um, about when you said you started this podcast, I think the end of, of um, 2019, yep. my customer list was about 2,600 people. Those are mostly dealers, breakers, although breaking wasn't a big deal back then. Um, right now I'm, I'm at 9,800. Wow. So we've added, we've added more than 7,000 customers in about two, two and a half years. That is, is pretty remarkable. And I, you know, I think goes a, a long way to, to show what you've been able to accomplish. You know, you mentioned earlier, this is kind of the, the final thing that I want to wrap up with, I guess, today, you had mentioned earlier that, you know, you started this as a 19 year old. It's the only job that that you've had. You know, you've you've run this company the 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 whole time. You've seen ups, you've seen downs, and you've seen a a, a huge boom over the last few years. Is there something as you look back over that whole period of time that you would say you're most proud of when it comes to your time starting and running Cardboard Gold? I don't I don't have one thing that I that I look at. Um, except consistency. Um, we've, we've been doing basically the same thing for 37 years and uh, we've never wavered. We still have the same product line. Um, I mean, pricing is higher now, but that's because everything has doubled. You know, freight's gone from $3,200 to $10,000. Um, freight actually went from $32, under $3,000 for a 40 foot container uh, back in 2019. And right now it's about a little less than 10. During COVID at the height, it was 19,800, 20 grand. So we've just been through, it's like kind of been a roller coaster. Um, I guess we, we were consistent and we've adapted the whole time. And it, um, from my position, I don't collect cards, but I love the fact that the hobby is energized and invigorated now. And it's really cool. I was at the, the one trade show in Vegas uh, a few months back and so many young people in the business now and breakers and dealers and, you know, people are opening up shops. I mean, five years ago, nobody opened up a store. It would have gone under in months, right? Now I see them opening up all the time. Yeah, that's, that's pretty, pretty remarkable, especially when it, when you think about 
that cost for a container, a lot of people don't think about that. They don't think about what that what that means for um, the bottom line. Uh, they're just thinking about what they're paying for that that package of of top loaders. That's a a lot to try to overcome. Well, remember too that all types of plastic have skyrocketed in the last three years, also. And then logistics of just like inland freight used to be nothing. It was like a couple hundred dollars. Now it's sixteen hundred and fifty dollars a container. Wow. There's, there's so many different inputs and things. Um, I don't think, I think we're pretty much where we're going to be price-wise. I don't see top loaders being a, a they're around a hundred bucks now. I don't think they're going to be much cheaper than that going forward. Very cool. Well, I really appreciate your time today, sharing some insight about how you got the company started and have grown it to what it is today. If there's anybody out there that is not familiar with their products, or maybe they're only familiar with the penny sleeves and card savers and top loaders and not the full range of things that you have available, where can people go to see what else Cardboard Gold offers? So our other um, big product line uh, category is photo top loaders and photo sleeves. We sold a lot of the, the big uh, autograph companies in the United States. In fact, most of them, that's still a huge business, you know, eight by 10 top loaders, four by six, things like that. Um, so you go to our website, which is simply cardboardgold.com. Awesome. Well, thank you again, Jack. I really appreciate your time today. Uh, my pleasure. Take care. Like the athletes we admire, the sports card shop is changing the game. We're not launching threes, bombing drives, or hitting dingers, but we have built a unique gathering spot for all collectors to trade cards, talk sports, play games, and watch their favorite athletes on the big screens. Yes, we've partnered with Panini, Upper Deck, Leaf, Tops, Fanatics, Pokemon, and others to bring you all the latest in sealed wax and singles. But the sports card shop in New Buffalo, Michigan is much, much more. Our recent expansion brings collectible sneakers, Hot Wheels, and more sports and entertainment memorabilia into the mix. Our new Collector's Cave game room is the perfect place to throw a rip party, bring friends, rip packs, trade cards, play billiards, ping pong, shuffleboard, classic arcade, and Xbox games, all while watching your favorite sport on TV. Visit us at thesportscardshop.com. Follow us on social at underscore sports card shop or better yet, visit us in person to learn about special events, party packages, new products and everything we're doing for you. The Sports Card Shop, connecting people, sports and the hobby around the world. Wow, Jack dropped some nuggets in there that I think were, were pretty amazing, pretty remarkable. The, the cost increase for shipping containers and what it takes to get things from China to the U.S. in the ports right now, that was a pretty amazing increase. And the volume of customers that he has now acquired you know, through his distribution list, growing by over 7,000, I think that's three to four times growth in his customer base over the last few years was pretty remarkable. And I like hearing about the way that he kind of navigated his company from starting it basically in a dorm room when he was 19 to what it is today. Pretty cool story of an entrepreneur who has built a business, met the needs of our hobby, and it's just pretty cool to, to have that conversation. So I hope you enjoyed it as well. Let me know what you thought about this episode. Reach out to me at waxpackhero at gmail.com. Send me a message on Twitter at the Mike Summer or at Waxpack Hero on Instagram and TikTok. 
And I really want to encourage you to do that this week because here in the next week or two, I'd like to do another mailbag episode. I'd like to hear what's on your mind and I'll spend some time on the podcast answering those questions. That is all I've got for you today. So I'll catch you next time.